Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. My name is Winsler Power. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? This one was so ridiculously fun. I, I'm doing great. We had on Skylar Higley. He's a comedian, I think one of the best in Chicago. I love him every time I see him. He's also a writer for Conan. He's a contributor for The Onion. Uh, guys, if you're in Chicago, Chicago. His next show is going to be November 5th at the Laugh Factory. It's the first Friday of every month, the Young Hustle show. Based on when we think this is going to be released, that should line up. But if it doesn't, first Friday every month. <laughs> God, he's so good. He is. He's absolutely amazing. And we had him on today to talk about LSD. And he really knows his stuff here. This was a fantastic topic that he, that he brought to us. And he had been uh, working on a, on a piece of writing that led to some deep research. This was so cool. I mean, he, he uncovered stuff I hadn't found at all. It was amazing. I absolutely love this episode. I think we're running a little long, so let's get into it. Let's go. Skylar Higley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I've recently seen you in like four shows around town. Yeah. You've been doing great and your stuff has been absolutely killing. Thank you. I appreciate that. So what are you up to now? I know you were a writer for Conan, which was absolutely incredible. And then Conan retired. <laughs> he didn't retire. He's doing stuff. I, I know that. And that's exactly what I know too. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's going to be an HBO Max show sometime. Okay. And when the HBO Max show happens at some time, I believe at the time, time in which that happens, which again, we do not know when that is, I will be a writer on it, I think. So <laughs> this is the uh, stability in the job market of the field we've chosen. Uh <laughs> yep. Yeah, we have really based a lot of what we want to do on rumors of hearing about things in the future. So <laughs> yep. still, that's incredible that you got to work with them. I know when and I, he's always been an absolute favorite and of every comedian I know. So that, that's amazing work. And so we, we talked to you about what you wanted to discuss today and you came back with LSD, which I thought was absolutely perfect. Not Lakeshore Drive. No, that no. is only relevant if you're in Chicago. But I, that has been ruined. <laughs> yeah, it has. Did they, did they rename it recently? Yeah, now it's like it was somebody who founded Chicago. Now it's a, it's like a, a long name. Yeah, but it's unofficially named and it's got like five names in it, so I never remember it. Yep. It's like when they renamed the Sears Tower kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't call it that. <laughs> it's Jean Baptiste Sable Point Lakeshore Drive or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just a long name. By the way, he was an interesting guy when he founded Chicago because it was just he just kind of like showed up and it's not like, oh, I'm going to found this town and bring in these these tons of thousands of people. He's just kind of hanging out here for quite a while. So he's he's interesting. And I'm not sure if we talked about him, but we certainly can in some episode. He was just the first drunk to not leave or die. So <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is your city, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like, congrats. You're the king. In 300 years, we will name a badly trafficked road after you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so why did you want to talk about LSD hallucinogens today? Well, it's a it's a multifaceted reason. I credit LSD a lot to how I got out of my religion because I was raised Mormon. It's a whole thing. And then I also recently, you just asked if anything had been ruined. And I was like, I don't really, you know, recently I wrote a screenplay about how LSD or a specific experiment got ruined. So I thought it was a good thing. And then thinking about it more, it is one of the, most 
ruined things yeah. within the United <laughs> States that I could possibly think of. It was perfect. It was absolutely perfect because it was one of those things where there was massive benefits where it had, had done so much and the exploration and it was absolutely incredible. And then they were like, oh man, people are enjoying this too much. We got to, we got to shut this down first. Let's find some ways to abuse it really badly first and then let's shut it the hell down. Uh, <laughs> So it was an absolutely great one to cover. This is also one that I think, as our listeners know, not not really a drug guy. I'm one of the people that like if they have drugs, they're like, oh, don't give it to Andrew. That is definitely a guy who's most likely never done this. But it's also one, especially after this research, where I've been very curious about it. Andrew's about to go off the fucking rails, guys. Yeah, yeah. he's on LSD <laughs> right now. We had him do research and now he's just like just itching to do some drugs. Look, <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of how it goes before. I did LSD for the first time. I did a lot of research because, you know, like everybody, my understanding of it was it's like the same thing as heroin. It's not like you can maybe, uh, and and usually if you're even predisposed to it, you can take enough LSD to go crazy, but there's no amount of LSD or any, well, I'm not going to say any psychedelic, let's say LSD and mushrooms that you can take that will physically kill you. It just is not how it works. It might, if you're doing a whole ton of it, really mess up your brain, but don't do that. That much. Right. No, that definitely like for, for listeners who have never heard of it and taken our advice to go <laughs> go try this. It's like, yeah, the, the effects of too much are severe, but it's all internal and mental for the most part in the, the experience. And speaking of the research of that people do before they try these drugs for the first time, I've known people who are like C students their entire lives, but like could write a doctorate paper on the fucking research they've done on LSD and mushrooms. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they will give me a full on thesis of like, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to eat three days beforehand. Two minutes beforehand, you got to put on Moana. It's really important you watch Moana. Everybody becomes their own little scientists of like, no, 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 no. Okay. So you know that one person at the office that you don't like, you want to make sure that you're not even thinking about them three days before. Yeah. Like they all these little things. Make sure to drink orange juice uh, at least 25 minutes in and then again, like 45 minutes in. Now that orange juice is going to activate that. You're like, okay, great. (laughs) I did not mean to set up an entire science experiment to do this. I wanted to just do the fun of drugs with my friends. Relaxing is so much work all of a sudden. And (laughs) it's one of those things too, where I've been very worried about the bad trip experience because for the past 14 years, I have only had nightmares when I drink. (laughs) Wow. We're getting into some dark shit today. Uh What? I mean, it's, it's fine. It's just something that, you know, it's just a thing. It's fine. I haven't slept in 14 years. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> I, I sleep. It, it, it happened right after I, I got sick and it's just a thing that, that started. So, you know, if you adjust to it, but I'm like, all right, clearly my subconscious hates me. <laughs> so do I really want to do something here that's going to like absolutely activate it and bring out its potential worst side, which has been my hesitancy about it. But also I'm like, I haven't had a good dream in a while. If this could give me a good one, that would be a fantastic thing to experience. Well, it's also like, well, do you have, I mean, everybody has like daily anxiety throughout your day. How anxious do you feel about like everything more than I should but I know people that have it worse <laughs> but do you have let, let's say this do you have good days where you're just kind of like feeling and feeling good about things and feeling relatively positive oh yeah if I if I reach a point where I have finished a significant amount of work the next day is great <laughs> the next day I can just relax <laughs> okay I feel like you could do LSD on those days and be around some close friends and I don't think it would be hard for me to really think that like you could have like a bad drip from that but you know yeah yeah. And also it's like, I have this feeling that I know is I've, I've read enough stories about how bad it can be, but also I still feel like, yeah, but how bad can it be? It's a day. It's a day. 
day of this, I, I feel like I'll get over it, <laughs> which definitely is in conflict with some of the stories I've read. But also it's like, yeah, most most people get past it. Yeah, just do a tiny bit, too. If yeah, just, just it, tiny bit. Like a, if you take a tiny bit, if you're even worried about the bad trip, there's not going to it's not going to be able to affect you enough to get you in the mental zone of it being really bad. Like every time that I've known somebody that's experienced like a really bad thing or witnessed it, they were on a significant amount of it. Like that's what like pulled them out. I usually when I do it now, try not to even do it enough to like be able to put me in that zone because I know that I am at risk for it. Oh, okay, good. That That is, guys, we're just going to do drugs now. Skyler <laughs> talked me into it. I'm going to start pressure, doing drugs. Pressure, <laughs> drug podcast now, guys. Doing drugs. Doing <laughs> drugs. I just grew up with I, that whole, so I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. So, uh, you know, I didn't go so far as Mormon to where I am now, but I was like in a, in a Southern community and growing up, everyone in high school was like, if you do LSD even once, if you hop your back, you'll start tripping and freak out and kill your family <laughs> in the mall. And it's like, I don't think that's true. Yeah. And you know what? Reading some of this research, I still am pretty sure it's not fucking true. <laughs> so when this isn't something you've tried either. No, I have not done uh, any any like psychedelics or anything like that. Not because I'm morally opposed, but because people don't offer a guy that looks like me drugs for free. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I don't know what our legal responsibilities are here, but I'm going to go ahead and say to our audience that we are not recommending this to you. We're not, not recommending it. Exactly. We're not recommending it to you for legal reasons. And that is our hesitancy there. So, you know, guys, I assume that you're all adults. Make your own decisions. I assume that some of you are currently high if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Oh, I would think so. In which case, you know, good for you guys, but legally not great for you guys. So, yeah, no, th- this is something that that uh, obviously I'm going to have to try now because uh, <laughs> sounds great. So <laughs> let, let's uh, we'll do an episode later on after this happens. And the where I went wrong can just be everything I did that day. So, <laughs> but but let's get into a little bit of the history of this first, because it has an interesting role to play. We've talked before in some of our episodes that there was no distinction between medicine and magic early on. These were considered one of the same, whether or not it was an effective treatment using roots and actually had a chemical effect, or if it was something where they waved the root over you and they thought it worked. These were both medicine. So you could consider Hogwarts school, witchcraft and wizardry of the medical school. Basically, yeah. Yeah, after that, you had to call yourself a doc. I have never considered that, but that is a fantastic point. <laughs> yep. Look, fuck those people. They can kill all the world's ailments and they do jack shit. And why? Oh, because we don't want to share their moving photos with us. Fuck those guys. <laughs> they can regrow bones. I know that for a fact. I read the book. <laughs> well, it's like they, they act like the Voldemort. I like how we got one fact in and are already off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like Voldemort's this big, bad, like, oh, I'm a wizard supremacist. And they're like, that's bad. But he is only being overt and more radical about the undercurrent of where their society is politically because they are not sharing any of the things that they could do to help people and, you know, all the ailments of the world with anybody because they're like, oh, they can't know about magic. You fucking assholes. You liar. Like, come on. One last tangent. One last tangent on Harry Potter. (laughs) I swear we'll do more facts about history. In the newest Harry Potter, The Crimes of Grindelwald or whatever, Johnny Depp's the bad guy, whatever you feel about Johnny Depp, who gives a shit, uh, but he smokes a, a skull hookah and he blows it up and he tells him like, just so you know, this is what people are going to do that we can stop if we take over the world and they show the Holocaust. He shows the Holocaust. He's like, if we take over the world, we can stop this. So now the good guy's mission is to stop the guy who's going to stop the Holocaust. Yeah. And I'm not sure how I'm supposed to 
feel about that as a viewer. Or as personally as a Jew. (laughs) (laughs) You should listen to Grindelwald. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what? Maybe, maybe he's got some good points. I'm going to have to watch the whole movie, but at least you could take some of his ideas. You don't have to do the whole thing. Stopping the Holocaust thing. Yeah. Let's let's hit that one. do that. So medicine and magic is where we're starting here. (laughs) So because of this, hallucinogenic drugs are some of the oldest used by humans, either in the form of, of psychedelics, dissociatives, or delirians. And the earliest evidence of psychedelic use is from between seven and 9,000 years ago. Cave mural in the Sahara Desert in Algeria. And it depicts what's referred to as the mushroom man or mushroom shaman. And it's this bee-headed figure with mushrooms sprouting out of his body. Mushrooms identified as a psychedelic species native to the region. So basically what you see very early on is the appearance here of it being a spiritual practice. I like that as soon as they started doing mushrooms, they started making shitty art out of it. Yeah. Whoa, fucking Alex Gray, dude. Look at these eyes. I knew a guy in college that called himself the Mushroom Man. So this is... This, of- yeah. <laughs> and But I mean, it, it continued exactly like that. 6,000 years ago, there's a mural uh, in a cave in Spain featuring mushrooms. Research, again, believed to be a local psychedelic species. 3,700 BCE, there's evidence of the use of, of peyote, a cactus containing the psychedelic mescaline by indigenous people along the Rio Grande, as well as used from 1,000 BCE in Peru with a San Pedro cactus, also containing mescaline. And from 3,300 years ago, there's a stone carving of a deity holding the same cactus, which is, again, where we have this implication of this being spiritual and religious significance because of this also used in ceremony. If there's one thing psychedelics makes you want to do, it's art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am. how do you find it writing on psychedelics? Ooh, um, I've done it a couple times. I would think bad. Well, it doesn't go bad. Here's, I mean, I've done it where I've, I've tried to write a couple things. I've tried to write stand-up. I've tried to write, you know, whatever. And if I'm at a certain point in the LSD high, I'm getting these ideas that feel the same way as having good stand-up ideas. And it's not that they're not good ideas. It's just that my brain's making the connection so fast and I'm like writing it down so slow. And it's also <laughs> the lines on the paper all, all over the place. So I'm like trying to write this. And then, I, you know, you read it after and you're like, this is nonsense. And then maybe there's one thing. There's like one thing that you're like, okay, I could do that. But then most of it's just like, oh, this doesn't work. Everybody would have to be as high as I am right now. Right. And I would also have to be high and then do everything that I just said in that exact order because it's like got all these callbacks and all these thematic builds. Like in in like in my mind and maybe on some level of truth it is really good, but it's just like, no, this is not comprehensible. Right. Something I could shove into a seven minute set. (laughs) What's interesting though is like at the beginning it sounded equivalent to when like you have an idea at 2 a.m. and you scribble it down and you wake up the next morning except those are most of the time just completely irrelevant. You, Your brain was working wrong. Yours, it sounds like there is something comprehensive there. It just requires a mindset that is specified for it to work. Yeah. Like you made too many connections and you wrote down like your A point and your Z point, but there was a whole alphabet between the two that you were not able to capture during that writing period. And you know, if you go A to C in comedy, that's, that's, that works. But like my, my brain, especially on a psychedelic, will go A and then go B and then skip past C so fast. Like <laughs> C, D, E, F, and G are obvious. 
obvious. So let's go to fucking Q. Right. And, <laughs> and just, they're going to get it. You're like, I'm going to start at point A, and now I'm at point Batman symbol, <laughs> exclamation point. But it's part of the alphabet in a certain way if you look at it through the context of, okay, so what you need to know is in Sweden in 1942, and then <laughs> that is what like makes the bit. And it's like, oh, and the color chart truth. You get it? And it's yeah. like, of course not. It's just like, you know, trust your audience. Trust that they're smart enough to make the connection. <laughs> So I'm, again, very curious to, to try writing with this experience because, uh, you know, there's always the, the right drunk edit sober uh, maxim, too. But I imagine trying to edit that, you have to go back and figure out what you actually meant at any point in time. So we're going to go to uh, <laughs> more art in mushroom stones, indicating their use has been found in Mexico and Guatemala going back 3,500 years. And recently, a 3,000 year old shaman's pouch was discovered in southwestern Bolivia, and it contained bufotenin and DMT, plus snuffing tablets used to crush plants into a snuff and a snuffing tube, because I don't want to say straw, I guess, most likely used to snort it. And it also contained harmine, which would need to be combined with DMT to achieve psychedelic effects. So at this point, they've already figured out the need to combine multiple plants together in order to create psychedelic effects from 3,000 years ago. And it was either believed taken as, as a snuff or in an ayahuasca-like drink. So they have, because of this, they have a significant history in shamanic rituals, healing, divination, initiation rites, and rituals of syncretistic movements combining different beliefs or religions. And they also have this large association with magic and folklore. In ancient Greek myth, wreaths of, of henbane leaves, a deliriant, were used to crown the newly dead to make them forget their former lives as they entered the underworld, which I really loved as a concept. Uh, the idea of like, look, this is going to be scary if you are leaving everything you loved. So how about that's just gone and this is just where you are now? <laughs> yeah, man, that sucks. Are you kidding me? That sucks. You wake up in hell and you don't know why you're there. <laughs> what the fuck is it? Everything is fire. What's going on? And everybody around is like, I don't know. I don't understand any of these ironic punishments. You can't give me <laughs> ironic punishments if I don't remember my life. If you're waking up in hell, you're not having a great time no matter what. I mean, I think, I think the idea here is that supposedly it's, it's on the river Styx. If you're making it to the better side, then you're, you're probably, you know, not as sad about it, I think was the goal. <laughs> oh, so that's like, it's they all they know. So then like maybe they're having a good time. Yes. They don't know that there's a cheesecake factory that they now don't get to go to. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's in fact what they wrote at the time is don't even worry about it. Yeah, the ancient Greeks knew about cheesecake factories, <laughs> right? Yeah. They discovered DMT and the cheesecake factory <laughs> earlier than you think that they did. And because of this, this role was significant in the ceremony. A Belladonna's genus Atropa is even named after the Greek fate Atropos who cut the thread of life. Mandrake was believed to commonly grow under gallows where blood dripped from thieves and murderers, and nightshade with tropanes have been prevalent in old world folklore and European witchcraft. Henbane again, Greco-Roman magic, and being associated with black magic during the Middle Ages. Henbane bell was often used in love potions. It could have a narcotic effect, but far more likely, it would just kill you. And they just kept giving out these love potions anyway. Wow. <laughs> Wow, interesting. Were love potions taken by you to make someone else find you more desirable, or were you poisoning and murdering the person you had a crush on? Great question. You were poisoning and murdering them. Correct. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. These people took Romeo and Juliet just all the way. Yeah. <laughs> 
and there were like multiple uh, types of, of love potions, but the idea of like, oh no, you'll actually could feel some sort of effect here, you know, lend it to it, but then it's, it is just poison. It's, it's poison. It's just if the same with many poisons. If you take a certain amount, you might have a slight different effect that doesn't kill you. And uh, uh, Belladonna was, was purported to aid in the flight of witches and would lead to hallucinatory dreaming. We talked about this a little bit in the witch episode. This was some of the association with the witch trial in general. With rye, the fungus ergot would grow on this. And at the time, there were pandemics of this. This, this would grow and you would essentially be poisoned from this if you couldn't get clean rye. But it could also have a hallucinatory effect in small amounts. And like many drugs, it was best absorbed through the mucous membrane, which long as being in the nose was also in the vagina. So this was thought to be applied using broomsticks in witch ceremonies, which was, again, as potentially apocryphal, but, but considered one of the possible origins of witches on broomsticks was instead the application of these drugs during these ceremonies. So a couple things. Yes. So they said what the witches were doing were basically having intercourse with the brooms that had, what is it, ergot? Ergot or, or other hallucinogens. Yes, hallucinogens. If the witches were hallucinating and it was, if it was only the witches having these hallucinations, then, you know, I don't see why anybody would have a problem with the witches. I think it would be the other people around hallucinating yeah. that there were witches <laughs> doing things. So people just need to start being a little bit more honest about who was doing what to what brooms. That's what I'm that- saying. <laughs> well, you gotta remember, for the majority of human history, there was nothing worse than seeing a woman enjoy herself. Yeah. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. And that's these were purported to be ceremonies where they communed with the devil. Uh, there also is a story that I don't believe because it just seems far less likely than people being bad, but that the ergot had gotten so abundant and infected so many people that it led to the mania of the Salem witch trial. I think they just sucked. Uh, I think <laughs> they just wanted to call people witches. I think Puritans had bad ideas about how people should be treated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've also heard a thing when it comes to like, for example, I was raised Mormon in that time in America's history where there was this fervent routing of all these new sects of Christianity. There's like anecdotal things of like Joseph Smith saw God and Jesus Christ. And then he had other people who said they also saw it, him so that they could validate the religion and stuff. That kind of stuff. It's been said that at that time, Ergot could have been a factor in these like transcendental visions that people were having. Really? I hadn't heard that. That's amazing. Uh, and would certainly make sense too, as, as to part of the process, because yeah, I mean, we, we absolutely know it can have that effect. Yep, something I heard one time. <laughs> no, the role it's played in religion and spirituality has been huge. Mandrake is mentioned twice in the Bible and frequently mentioned as an ingredient in flying ointment, which does suggest that it is something you rub on your skin and are then able to fly, which is unique, not not the form of intake I was expecting. Jimson weed found in North America by colonists and eventually considered one of the other classic witches weeds in the nightshade family. So it has a long history in Mexico, southwestern U.S. by indigenous cultures for ritualistic, sacred, and magical purposes. And it's still used today for sorcery and black magic, as well as some shamanism practiced in, in Latin America. It's also occasionally added to ayahuasca brews by brujos or bad shamans looking to take advantage of unsuspecting tourists. So I first read this and was like, oh, to get them high and steal from them. That was my thought process. But no, genuine shamans believe one of the purposes for this is to steal one's energy and or power of which they believe each person has a limited amount, which honestly, I kind of feel like, look, if you have this deeply spiritual practice and you have people showing up as tourists to experience it, maybe that's your payment. Maybe that's just something you get to take. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting thing as somebody who's done ayahuasca, the idea of being in that space and then also having a thing that's like this energy 
energy portal being sucked away from you. Yeah. It's like very like I'd be that's that's rude to say. Yeah. I'd, I'd be upset. But if it is like, you know, the tourism thing, because there is a whole ethical, you know, I would say boondoggle that yeah. it presents because it's like, so you're saying that, that these people are tourists that, you know, don't come from the culture and they want to use this psychedelic spiritual thing to whatever contextualize their life because they're an influencer and they think that it could help them whatever whereas this is like a deeply spiritual historical thing i see that argument and especially with the profiteering that goes on and shit but then there's also the other end where it's just like if there is something that is like elevates a person's humanity and soul if you want to call it that should anybody be precluded from that thing so it's a complex nuanced thing yeah personally i i think because of that access to the ingredients should be public. I understand that not from every part of the land. Some is obviously should be considered sacred, but most of them are available in multiple places and can be cultivated in places. And the idea of claiming the product itself didn't make any sense to me. But the idea of I'm going to go to their religious ceremony and just do it as a goof, uh, that that part, if you're like missing the point. But yeah, absolutely. The, the chance to experience a completely different view of yourself in the world sounds fantastic. Definitely something that should be made available to people responsibly and not to our audience again for legal reasons. Just this idea of just being like getting this 3,000 foot view of your own self and to get this huge like influx of, of things so you can see your whole world from a different perspective just so you can make a really good Instagram post yeah. is <laughs> actually fucking wild. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the experiences around this hugely vary. Last actual herb I want to touch on here, plant, is Wolfsbane because this had huge magic and folklore since medieval times. It is highly poisonous, deadly to even work with, but still often included in recipes for flying ointments and magical salves, likely as a way to counteract the cardiac and hyperthermic side effects of the scopolamine in certain nightshades used to originally get you high. And it was heavily associated with superstition and witchcraft in Europe, particularly around the mythos of werewolves and lycanthropy. And that's believed to at least partially come from its alleged tendency to cause paresthesia, which is an abnormal sensation of the skin. It can feel like any number of things, but can often feel like one's body is covered in fur. So this is the Wolfsbane Werewolf Association that developed throughout the medieval times uh, in, in Eastern Western Europe. Wow. I did not know where werewolves as a concept. It's like every single like Halloween-y thing came from like, yeah, somebody got really high one time. (laughs) It's interesting because werewolves as a concept have actually come from multiple parts all over the world. But basically, originally, most things were like an idea and then they got to Europe and they're like, hey, this idea is evil. Mm. And that is pretty much how it went before. It was like, oh, you've got this animal transmogrification. And then Europe is like, but because of the devil. So that's the general process. (laughs) Oh, interesting. There's a value judgment placed on top of everybody else's cultural stories by whiteness, which is why we have the Halloween parties that we have today. Thanks, white people. Yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've already got the extreme <laughs> bastardization of Samhain just for the even existence of Halloween. So it makes sense that every other concept around it is also stolen and objectified. So yeah, that, that's that, that we've got the uh, the plant history here. It's eventually introduced into the Western world much later because 
Europe didn't really experience it until it reached Latin America. And on Columbus's second journey, who was it? It was uh, Friar Payne. He's, he noted it was used by the Taino people in, in uh, Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Most of the introduction in Western Europe is dull because it's it's just them saying, okay, this is probably evil. And then the whole witches thing, which blew up. And then it doesn't really get interesting until 19th or 20th century when it begins to be studied scientifically, which is more of the stuff I want to get into. Just a few quick dates that we can skip ahead to the interesting stuff. 1897, Arthur Heffer consumed the 150 milligrams of mescaline uh, hydroxide he had isolated. It was isolated as the active principle of peyote just the prior year. And it was the first experience with a purified psychedelic substance. 1927, Kurt Berenger released De Mescaline Roche, The Mescaline Intoxication in English, and more intensive effort began to be focused on the study on psychoactive plants. 1928, uh, Louis Lewin published Fantastica, an extensive survey on psychoactive plants. And uh, Mexican psilocybin mushrooms were rediscovered. I hated that, that phrase, rediscovered. Like, they continued to be used for thousands of years, and then white guys showed back up. It's like, oh, hey, remember we found this a while ago. And in 1936, Christmas Vine in 39. I know exactly what you're going to say. William H. Blyer invented the black light in 1935. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have that in my notes, but that would have been a fantastic ad. I, I hope you knew that just offhand. <laughs> no, I looked it up. I was just like, wait yeah. a second. We're getting close to the invention of the black light. So I looked it up. <laughs> Hotels were ruined for everyone after that. But if you were uh, on peyote, fantastic time. So, <laughs> no, but after 1935, 1938, Albert Hoffman was studying the plant squill and the fungus ergot, again, the one mentioned before. And Hoffman was synthesizing active constituents to try to make a respiratory and circulatory stimulant. And he was trying different combinations with lysergic acid. A particular one with diethylamide was labeled LSD-25, his 25th combination. And it didn't have any particularly noticeable effects on the rats, certainly that's what they were going for, aside from some behavioral changes. They definitely noted something was different here, but the project was shelved. It was like those behavioral changes, like the rats were like really like just staring at the wall. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> eating and just like being like, let's watch some Rick and Morty yeah. and hang out. <laughs> All of a sudden, the rats just got super chill. <laughs> yeah, suddenly the rats were really into the Grateful Dead all of a sudden. And they're like, what <laughs> is going on? These rats are deadheads. I don't understand what this is. And somehow wrote all of this off. They, did, they didn't take note of this at all. It was just like, oh, no, didn't do the respiratory thing. The rats just followed this band around for an entire summer. They sold T-shirts <laughs> out of a car. It was wild. They're calling themselves fish heads? <laughs> Actually, I did have someone DM me a while ago who said you should cover fish on the podcast, which I was I was curious about. I looked him up and he has a fish podcast. So I was like, oh, that makes sense. But uh, <laughs> fish apparently he believes has a very interesting history, probably not associated with these rats. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So 1943, Hoffman decided to revisit this project and accidentally ingested a very small amount. Accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, this should be a more secure lab if this is happening, because a lot of this stuff is poison. Yeah, welcome to science in the 60s. It accidentally got on yeah. the broom handle, and it accidentally... Yeah. <laughs> he said he uh, he perceived extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors, and he was into it. So three days later, April 19th, 1943, he took a larger dose of the drug, uh, just 0.25 milligrams, equivalent to a few grains of salt, but plenty to experience the first 
acid trip. In fact, it's still celebrated as Bicycle Day by many people because at this time there were restrictions on cars in Basel, Switzerland, where he was during the war. So he, along with most others, rode bicycles. So less than an hour after this, he experienced this sudden and intense changes in perception and asked his lab assistant to escort him home. And on the way, he just lost it, rapidly deteriorated, <laughs> struggled with anxiety, belief that his neighbor was a witch, that he was going insane, that the LSD had poisoned him. When he gets home, he calls for the doctor who examined him and could detect nothing abnormal except for incredibly dilated pupils. And that was it. That reassured Hoffman to the point where he the terror switched to enjoyment. Hoffman immediately recognized his potential as a powerful psychiatric tool because it led to intense introspection and he had no consideration of it being used recreationally. He was like, oh, this could be a medicine that helps people. So by 1947, it was released as a commercial medication under the name Delicid for various psychiatric uses. 1949, the U.S. picked up on it, believing it might have clinical applications. Through the 50s, mainstream media reported on research into LSD and its growing use in psychiatry. Undergrad studying psychology would take LSD as part of their education and describe the effects. There were six positive reports from Time Magazine between 54 and 59 on LSD, and it was originally perceived as this psychotomimetic capable of producing model psychosis. And by the mid-1950s, LSD research was being conducted in major medical centers where researchers used it as a means of temporarily replicating the effects of mental illness. But psychoanalyst Sidney Cohen, he took the drug expecting this unpleasant trip and instead found there was no confusion or disoriented delirium. Instead, he said problems and strivings, the worries and frustrations of everyday life vanished. In their place, there was a majestic, sunlit, heavenly inner quietude. Yeah, that's also the weird thing. Just to just to make this as a note, like this is what I tend to enjoy about it. Like we talked about, you know, writing yeah. and stuff like that. And, and it's like a complex kind of thing. We make all these jokes about like, oh yeah, it's for like enjoying fish. And it does make you enjoy music more. Even bad music is suddenly good. Yeah. Which is <laughs> why fish works. But like also it's like, um, at least when I am on LSD, I, it's not that I'm feeling like a party. I feel like fucking Stephen Hawking. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the fact that this turns into what it's about to turn into, and I assume the next couple bullet points is like <laughs> crazy to me. And just to go back further, I can't believe Hoffman invented something, drugged himself with it, and then had a doctor be called. Like, what's the doctor going to do? Yeah. I invented a new poison. What's the solution? It's like, dude, I don't know. You invented the poison that you took. I mean, it, it was the 40s at this point. Like, solutions and things were still basically, how about you try some cocaine? Maybe that'll help. Right. It's like, I can't tell what's wrong. It's like, you can't tell most of what's wrong most of the time. Right. <laughs> no, you're right. So, <laughs> calling the doctor, very strange move. I think he just needed to basically be told his arms were still there kind of thing. Your neighbor is not a witch. He had to check in on that one. <laughs> and you're right. We're, we're going to get into some of the where it went wrong in just a second because Cohen immediately began his own experiments with Aldous Huxley with the help of psychologist Betty Eisner. He began experimenting with whether it could help facilitate psychotherapy, curing alcoholism, enhancing creativity. Cohen became one of the leading authorities on LSD between 57 and 58. They treated 22 patients who suffered from minor personality disorders. It was given to artists to track their mental deterioration, but Huxley believed it might enhance their creativity. Between 58 and 62, psychiatrist uh, Oscar Yaniger tested LSD on more than 100 painters, writers, and composers. In one study in the late 50s, LSD was given to alcoholics in AA who had failed to quit drinking. After one year, about 50% of the group had not had a drink. That is a success rate that has never been duplicated by any other means. I'm going to note that because, again, I grew up thinking it was like heroin. And that is not anything that gets, like, recommended for somebody trying to quit something. You know what I mean? Like, it's I, it's framed as a drug, which it is because it's something that we ingest. But it's like, nobody's like, hey, you're struggling with alcohol. Like, try this cocaine. Right. Like, <laughs> it's going to make you feel so much better. 
<laughs> they originally did that with morphine because when when people were alcoholics, because they said, well, look, when this was, you know, 1910, they said, well, if they're, they're al- alcoholics, they're violent. If they're addicted to morphine, they're just kind of sitting around. Oh, God. That's just getting them addicted to something else. It was. So they did this with, with opium and other narcotics. That wasn't treating alcoholism. That was just like making your violent alcoholic kind of just easier to deal with. Oh, yeah. yeah. This was the same time period when you could order heroin directly from Sears mail-in catalog. <laughs> but you're right. It was never, even during this time, it was like nobody knew anything about it. It was like, here's the thing. This was a time when when a drug that was discovered was actually being legitimately used to help people. And pretty much purely that. This this wasn't thing where like, oh, it could be used to help people and it's also being used for evil. At this point, oh, well, I mean, we'll find some people who are secretly using it for evil in a minute. But at this point, it's really just helping. And when it's used in these studies, they're consistently finding these results. Research was extensive until the mid-1970s. Between uh, 1565, LSD research generated over a thousand scientific papers, several dozen books, six international conferences. It was prescribed as a treatment to over 40,000 patients, and it continually worked. Obviously not for everybody. There there were failures in here too, but this was a good thing that was helping people. So, uh, Skylar, where did it go wrong? Well, it went wrong. It essentially that, to, to summarize, everything was going too well. It was helping people too much. And I think that a couple facets of this were, I, I, I think we cannot discount how much the Vietnam War actually had an effect on LSD. Because LSD, it creates a lot of anti-establishment sentiment or can. So as something that allows you to deconstruct constructs that you have in your mind. So when people say like on mass, like war is a good idea because the government and the establishment and the authority is telling you that war is a good idea. And then you take LSD and then war doesn't make sense. And it's not, you keep past the propagandized whatever. So it was creating this whole, what they call it, the counterculture that was being resistant to the powers that be, resistant to the war itself. And so it was that part. And then also the research as it was happening, there was a lot of positives to it, but also since it's a very fun time type drug, I think people were abusing the research and not doing a good job with it. And that's when Timothy Leary and everybody were doing their Harvard experiments. And then it became obvious that the government was able to point out, hey, they're not doing research. They're just doing drugs and having parties and whatever. That's not research. And then all of the scientific part of it got shut down because some people, you know, just a couple people ruined it for fucking everybody. It's absolutely Leary, who you mentioned, is blamed by many people as the the reason this got pushed into this realm of negative public opinion. He's this this Harvard professor and he's running experiments. Harvard had agreed to only give this to grad students. He's giving it to everybody. Also, it's getting passed around to the point, like, you know, he's giving this out. Also, he's doing LSD during his experiments and everyone else that's there is a scientist and saying, this isn't how experiments work. You need to be observing. He said, well, we need to be in the same mental state to observe. That's not how observing works at all. So Leary is also getting louder about this. He's told that the CIA is monitoring his research. Parents complain about Leary's distribution of hallucinogenics to their children. And by the mid-60s, there was this backlash against LSD and its perceived corrosive effects on the value of the middle class, which is when the government gets mad. It affects, yeah, the the, uh, the fictional mom-and-pop white picket fence idealism. Then there's, there's this immediate pushback. And Leary was talking about this. He has this article in Playboy where he talks about it being a powerful aphrodisiac and his studies have just become parties. I will say, if there is a doctor who is giving out LSD to like your kid and then going on Playboy and being like, it makes people want to fuck. <laughs> and be like, that guy's fucked. 
fucked up. That guy's a piece of shit. And he was, but then it's also like, because this guy is, it didn't, it didn't, it just ruined, like, it's like, oh, this guy is fucked up. What's well, like, doesn't mean LSD is messed up. Yeah, it's being misused and that, like, there's a lot of things that, you know, the way that it changes your perception, but that, especially in the um, 50s and 60s, there was the status quo and it was kind of the last time that we were able to really have this hegemonic uh, white middle class sense of what America was. As we move out of the 60s because of the effects of the Vietnam War and with LSD, we become delusioned in a lot of senses with that sort of cultural established identity because LSD was partially to blame for that. Of course, the government really wanted to shut it down. Absolutely. And you mentioned the importance of the Vietnam War here. And I think there's this association with people where it's like, this is a hippie movement and they did drugs. And it was like, no, this was incredibly combined to the point of the way they were viewing the world, the way they were viewing personal freedom here. While this is going on, I mean, Leary, again, I think is just terrible, absolutely sucks. But Nixon described him as the most dangerous man in America. And he wasn't that <laughs> at all. He was a guy who wanted to get high and gave gave drugs to the wrong people. Yeah, he was an irresponsible scientist. Right. <laughs> as we can tell with the presidents and how they name people as things, yeah, they levy verdicts for the interests of the United States federal government and corporations. Yeah, it was insane the backlash to this because up until this point, it was just fantastic. It was great research. It was pure science. And then it was it was a guy that realized that it could be, you know, one of many people that had realized it could be used for something else and just didn't know how to control it within himself. And it's such a shame because by the 80s, basically all funding was gone. And while this is going and the government is decrying the evils of LSD, the CIA is getting deeper and deeper into it in MKUltra. What? The government is hypocrite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? 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 Oh, no. Oh, God. Again, exactly the establishment that people doing these drugs are pushing back against and seeing our, our eyes are open and they're like, OK, but you know, shut them back down. This is <laughs> if you realize that we're doing horrible things, this isn't good for any of us. I just love the idea of just like, it's eroding the middle class and making them second guess war. But what if we used it to make them even more patriotic? Yeah. It's just like, oh, <laughs> fuck you guys. Right. As something that can influence minds, they're like, oh, we want to be in control of people's minds. It's of course this power thing because the proliferation of this tool means that the middle class and lower classes now have a certain sense of power, perceptual shifts, a different way of thinking about things, power that they do not want in the hands of people. And as a government establishment, of course, the United States was like, shut it down. But also, let's uh, use it for our weird mind control experiments and try to fucking mind control people and animals as weapons and all this shit. Which were so dumb, too, because it, it was <laughs> one of those things where, so first, they, they'd heard stories about American prisoners being brainwashed with some sort of lie serum during the Korean War. And they, they think this LSD was behind this. So it became the centerpiece of MKUltra. They wanted to see if they could make Soviet spies defect against their will if Soviet spies could do, be doing the same thing to CIA operatives. So they first began administering LSD back in 1953 to mental patients, prisoners, basically all of the weakest people. In one case, they administered it to a patient for 174 days and something they quickly came to, they said, well, but if they know they're getting it, you know, we're not really getting the whole picture of how this works. So they start just slipping it to people, random people that they're observing, but also they reached a point in the CIA where you knew if you were in the CIA, you might get dosed at some time for 
an experiment. What kind of fucked up fraternity shit is that? <laughs> it's, it, it was absolutely insane. This was, by the way, all in violation of the Nuremberg Code. This was like, the, the stuff they were doing was known to be horrific. What? The CIA violated the ethical code that we said? In, what? But we promised. <laughs> <laughs> And there's studies, none of this worked at all. Uh, they were looking to bring out deep confessions or wipe a subject's mind clean to program them as a robot agent. And they kept this going for 20 years for millions of dollars with zero success. I'm sorry, but how did you take such the beautiful idea of this person has passed away, but just to make sure that they can leave us behind and enjoy the rest of their eternity <laughs> in peace? Like, let's give them this drug. And then it became the government being like, let's erase people's memories. <laughs> perfect weapon. And like, geez, like what can't the government fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> it's so insane too. Like while they're decrying the evils, the only people that are treating it with evil intent is the government. They're the only ones using it for actual nefarious purposes. Everyone else is like, parties are fun and sex is great now. And the government's over here just like, let's make you a perfect sniper. Let's, let's train you how to be a brainwashed assassin. This was basically like if a Bond villain kept saying, and guys, the stuff Bond's doing, that's not cool, man. He slept with that lady. That's, you know, what you should really get behind is, you know, trying to blow up the moon. Dude, that's unprofessional of James Bond, honestly. Like, yeah. on the job. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go ahead and try to sink Indonesia into the ocean. I don't know why. <laughs> Just a thing. That's a classic move that the, the government and narcissistic type of people in power employs. Like, yeah, you got to accuse the thing that you are against of, like, doing the fucked up thing that you're doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a very common trait that we, we saw play out so often. It's still going, still ha very common in America right now. So this officially ended in 73. We do have a recent resurgence, thankfully. I'm going to brief positive and then we're going to get back to a negative because I do want to at least mention that this started being worked with again in the 90s. Recently, in the 2000s, there have been great studies on it. 2006, Griffiths published his landmark paper showing psilocybin can induce highly meaningful mystical uh, experiences. Research from the same year showed it could help cluster headaches. 2009, the first clinical study of psilocybin was brought to the UK, the first study of any psychedelic there in 40 years. 2011, it was shown to reduce anxiety in patients with advanced cancer. Same year, MDMA was demonstrated to be a safe and effective drug for improving treatment-resistant PTSD. Studies on brain connections was shown to, to help the brain communicate to areas that don't normally communicate with each other. They found ayahuasca to help with relieve symptoms of depression. There's now, from 2019, the Imperial College of London launches the world's first center for psychedelics research. Johns Hopkins does the same. Both centers are carrying out research into what psychedelics reveal about consciousness and how they can help treat conditions like depression, addiction, and PTSD. It's all going very well again. Obviously, it doesn't have the funding it needs yet, but again, they're they're immediately finding positive results. So that's the positive. Right before we jump back into the other net negative of John Lilly. <laughs> Skyler, tell us about Lilly. Yeah, this is a great one. So this comes at the intersection of what we were talking about starting out in the 1950s, where John Lilly is originally this scientist that's always interested in biology, always interested in animal research, and gets interested in psychedelics as well as an ancillary thing to this. So in uh, 1953 about, he's working with J. Edgar Hoover on MK Ultra. He is 
helping him out with trying to use these psychedelics to, you know, mind control people and to see if he, they can do stuff to these Russian Soviet agents and stuff like that. Now, John, as a scientist and a person, gets pretty disillusioned with this whole thing, not only because it's not yielding results, but he has sort of a, a moral problem with doing this. Objectively evil, yeah. <laughs> and it's an evil thing to do. But he was still doing it a lot, but he was still like, it's not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> he just, you know, it's not the best. So he continues his research more with animals. Now, we, we want to talk about ethicality. Back in the 50s, he was also, like, as a biological researcher, just cutting animals' brains open and just kind of, like, looking at them. And, you know, back in the day, there wasn't any sort of... I mean, for God's sakes, they, they didn't have uh, rights for Black people. So you can imagine how they were treating actual animals. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they... He starts cutting open these animals. He starts to research dolphins. And people know now that dolphins are very smart and have complex language systems with how they echolocate and stuff like that. And he writes two books. One is called Mind of the Dolphin. He wrote that in 1962. And then the other one is called Man and Dolphin. And that came out in 1967 or whatever. Man and Dolphin was a later one. So Mind of the Dolphin, 1962. That's the first like book he writes. I just want to say, as someone who doesn't know know where this is going this does sound like the books written by someone who's going to fuck these dolphins <laughs> and you know what let's put a pin in that <laughs> you saying i know what makes me want to hear the rest of the story i thought i was making a funny little joke please i'm so excited <laughs> and you were but sometimes jokes reveal truths about the world so he writes this book it gets very very popular he he becomes a very popular scientist he's going on jack parr's show and stuff to talk about it and he's invited to this meeting of scientists that were popular in the day. Frank Drake, who invented the Drake equation, is there. Carl Sagan is there. This meeting is basically the establishment of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI, because around the time they started thinking about, you know, hey, maybe if an extraterrestrial might communicate with Earth, what is the possibilities of extraterrestrials? This was all coming up as we were starting to get more and more into the space program and trying to go to space stuff. So SETI is being established and John basically postulates in his book that a dolphin is smart enough that potentially with its complex language system, it's as complex as our language system, its brain is as big as ours, maybe humans could communicate with dolphins. And he goes further as to say, in his book, he says something about like, I think in the next five years we'll be able to figure out how to communicate with dolphins. The group of scientists meeting, establishing the search for extraterrestrial intelligence say, if if this is a possibility to communicate interspecially, then that could be a step to communicating with a potential extraterrestrial if it ever came. It could maybe be like a Rosetta Stone between translating human language and codifying it in a way that can be understood by other species. So <laughs> because they were thinking that, essentially Carl Sagan and, and Frank Drake helped John Lilly get funding from NASA to begin establishing a lab where he does experiments trying to essentially communicate with a dolphin. This is where Margaret Howe comes in. She is like a 22-year-old college dropout. She is interested in animals. She has this whole idea of like, it would be so cool to like talk to an animal. It's like a childhood fantasy of hers. She kind of just shows up to the lab one day, kind of is just wants to see if she can help out. And they just go like, yeah, you know, you can be a volunteer assistant and you'll be involved with these dolphin experiments. Now, because it's these 1950s, 
1960s and John Lilly has done LSD experiments in the past and knows Timothy Leary. It is not long before he starts experimenting with LSD himself. Concurrently, the experiments between trying to communicate directly with a dolphin pretty quickly start not going that well because for some reason they started trying to teach the dolphin to speak English. <laughs> this was my favorite part. Like it, it is already making sounds of communicating and instead of trying to figure out what it's saying, they said, what if we can teach it our words despite its vocal cords being entirely different? It was the most insane approach to this. I would love nothing more if they were doing the prototypical white person visiting another country of just like yelling at the dolphin like, doctor, <laughs> I'm doctor. That's exactly what they were doing. <laughs> There are these audio recordings, dude. You can look them up where the research assistant, Margaret, is with the dolphin and is being like, Margaret, Margaret <laughs> with an M. And it's like, he's a fucking dolphin. I remember reading that, that she kept saying he has a lot of trouble with the M sound. It was like, dude, all of his communication is in E. It's all E. Just just say something with E. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's not working. John C. Lilly starts getting distracted. He starts doing a bunch of LSD like himself because he becoming like Timothy Leary and he doesn't like he's just like he gets this idea at a certain point where he goes hey you know this changes the way my mind works these dolphins aren't speaking in English let's give these dolphins LSD <laughs> and so he tries to give dolphins LSD it does not work but then the experiments and the research basically becomes him in the isolation tank like next to the dolphin tank, which as a side note, John C. Lilly invented the isolation tank. So it was, was like a great contribution to science. And now Joe Rogan has one and everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and now you can go to these like isolation tanks to like relax and they create like a meditative state and it helps you clear your mind and whatever. So he invented those for his experiments. So like great for him. So basically what starts happening is he just starts taking LSD, going into the tank and then being like, I'm going to try to communicate with these dolphins through basically being psychic ESP <laughs> while Margaret attempts to teach one of the dolphins English through these lessons. Also, other side note, the story gets even crazier, as if that wasn't enough. Margaret, at a certain point through these experiments, goes, look, we're here, nine to five, and then everybody goes home, and then we just leave these dolphins here. Why are we doing that? There's so much other time when we could be teaching the dolphins. Maybe they need to establish an emotional connection as well, so that they're able to then speak to establish sort of a, the way humans learn to talk, there's like a, a mother-child connection with something that you're trying to teach to speak. So she goes like, you know what I think that I should do is I should move in with the dolphin. <laughs> like this odd couple roommate thing just like like we're gonna make this work one's a dolphin one's a wacky lady who dropped out of college <laughs> it's just insane to me the idea of these guys sitting around and they're just pitching ideas to each other like one guy's like i'm gonna go over here and i'm gonna try to read the dolphin's mind mm -hmm. and they're like that's really fucking dumb good luck with that i'm going to try to speak to the dolphin <laughs> and eventually make it love me and that's how it's going to learn how to speak someone was sitting there like listening to these ideas and it was like good a two 
two-pronged approach. We're really going to nail this soon. <laughs> five years, guys. We've got a five-year window, and we're going to nail it. It's exactly right. This also became a problem because, like we were talking about with Timothy Leary, there were scientists in the room that were like, hey, like, I don't know if we should be doing this like this. Like, there were there was a whole experiment that was kind of set up that didn't really play out because nobody paid that much attention to it, where they wanted to separate some dolphins. They wanted to see if they could create, like, a telephone system where if a dolphin did something into the phone and then another dolphin heard it and it would respond back so but they would be in two separate tanks so it'd be like oh this is how we can parse out the communication system and then john lily's like no 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 no, we're gonna do this lady moving into the dolphin <laughs> like they flooded a room right not only the room they flooded different rooms in this like architecture of the lab so they like they shut down the lab for months to like flood all these different rooms and like turn it into a place where she could live semi-aquatically with this dolphin so she's walking around through flooded rooms and the dolphins fucking swimming around and they live together and then that's how they do the experiment now and this is where it gets even crazier up until now it was normal right <laughs> yeah, yeah up until now totally normal experiment this isn't that weird at this point the dolphin when they got peter the dolphin from marine studios that produced flipper i know so much about this now uh, <laughs> he was he was seven when they got him he's starting to mature and he's around like 11 at this point and that's like the maturing age for a dolphin so because peter is a male dolphin he's sexually maturing we all know that dolphins are very horny so he like wouldn't pay attention to these english lessons first of all because english is impossible for a dolphin english <laughs> is hard for people it's a hard, you're teaching them the hardest language to learn <laughs> as just a second language in the first place it's like if you were to take a class while being a maturing teenager where you were supposed to take a class to figure out what the concept of love smelled like. <laughs> like things that don't work for your brain, right. you know? Like, and then like just supposed to focus on that while just like you're experiencing all these feelings. So he's getting horny. They used to, what they started doing was moving the dolphin from, because they had him upstairs, the female dolphins were downstairs. They used to pick him up out of the tank, move him into this flooded elevator, send him down the elevator, take him out of the elevator, like fucking 200, 300 pound dolphin, then move him all the way over into the tank, let him go have sex with the female dolphins, pick him back up, try to take him up, and then try to teach him again. This whole process takes like every time, like a couple hours. So they're not making any progress and they're starting to run more out of money. So Margaret figures the faster thing that I can do is I'm just going to jerk off this dolphin. <laughs> Logical response. <laughs> right. And it'll make it way faster. And then we can get back to doing the thing that was logical in the first place, which is teaching him English. <laughs> <laughs> I give the dolphin hand jobs and the quest to teach him English. That is incredible. Yeah. And it's like a sexy, like teacher fantasy, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like a classic porn. Thing. So then it becomes a thing where she's like consistently jerking off this dolphin on pretty much daily basis. Not only pretty much daily basis. I, I misspeak. It becomes then more and more frequent when she's got to start doing it like fucking a lot of time <laughs> in the day. Because this dolphin, and now this also, this dolphin's now completely in love with her because she's spending all her time with this dolphin. She's jerking off this dolphin all the time. <laughs> Who wouldn't be? Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, John is also on LSD and trying to give the dolphins LSD. And so before long, obviously, this whole thing just gets shut down. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the person who was like granting them the money had to like be reading their research and be like, so you're high. And you're trying to get the dolphins high. Mm-hmm. And she's giving them hand jobs. Yeah. They're like, hey, like we are pulling the funding from this. This is, no- they're no, you cannot be doing this. And all of it's being funded by NASA, which I yeah. really think is another layer of this. They're like, we're going to get somebody to the moon. And then also what's going on over here? Oh, they're on the drugs and jerking off dolphins? Okay. <laughs> and this is an example of just on the offshoot of the Timothy Leary thing and LSD experiments that he was doing that went sideways. This is another thing that they pointed to when it came to like shut down LSD to be like, look how terrible this is. This isn't science. And like, that's another example of like, yeah, this became very much not science very quickly because <laughs> one guy was just doing a bunch of drugs. Right. <laughs> that's not LSD's fault. That's that dude's fault. And <laughs> this was, I mean, absolutely insane that any of this happened, let alone all of this happened. And the ending to the story is very sad. Like they moved the dolphin to a smaller laboratory in Miami and the dolphin, because it is both in a smaller tank, but also misses all its hand jobs so much, <laughs> decides to kill itself because he is just like sad now because he misses Margaret. So he like totally just, you know, killed himself in a small tank. Then John Lilly was like, I think I'm going to let these other two dolphins go because this sucks. And, <laughs> but continued his research for a long time, just like trying to communicate with the dolphins and eventually getting addicted to ketamine and getting more and more crazy. I, I like that he doesn't let the dolphins go until they're like, well, you got to start funding their LSD yourself. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, well, that's cutting into my LSD money. So <laughs> the right thing to do is set them free. <laughs> I can't keep giving free drugs to these dolphins. Right. Your first one's free, but then you got to pay. And these dolphins are not paying. <laughs> it is not at all uncommon for drugs to interact with animals very differently. You know, like ones that are given to horses as, as painkillers can be used as, as a stimulant for dogs. So this is having no effect on the dolphins. And he's just like, I'm loving it. So let's keep doing it because I'm not going to do LSD alone. <laughs> so let's just try it out, guys. And this is another way that this got unethical is because it, there was a, I read a story where at one point when he gave the dolphins LSD, he wasn't seeing any effect and he was very upset about that. So there was a jackhammer and he was like, you get more sensitive when on LSD. I'm not noticing anything for these dolphins. Dolphins have very sensitive hearing because they can echolocate. So what he does is he takes a jackhammer like next to the pool where the dolphins are and just starts jackhammering on the floor to like try to get the dolphins to do something. And they didn't do anything. No, he's just an absolutely terrible person. And every single step of his scientific, because it's not just scientific procedure, his scientific thought process is so fucked up where he's like, well, I can't get these dolphins high, so I got to rent a jackhammer. (laughs) And just like the A to B of his mind was the most insane thing. And and yes, they were able to then use as an example for (laughs) where LSD went wrong. And like, there was no way this guy wasn't fucked up pre-LSD. It was already a guy making bad decisions. I'm just still trying to wrap my head around him just being like, I'm going to try to read their mind. You're going to give them hand jobs (laughs) so they speak English. And we're going to figure out a way to make this work so we can talk to aliens. Break. (laughs) And the part that's still, I mean, the one of the many parts that that gets me was at no point after this, animal language research becomes trying to understand their language. And at no point was this considered to try and figure out what they were saying. Well, there were a bunch of people that wanted to, but they all quit the lab because he just wouldn't do it. Right, because they just wanted to say Margaret so bad. (laughs) I will say the day the first dolphin handjob happened, I think I would put in my notice. Yeah. (laughs) 
Look, I, I, no, if you're staying after that, this was what you were hoping for the entire time. <laughs> now I'm just imagining that there was one guy who was just like, maybe we should try jerking him off. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Suggested it like way too early, like day two. He's like, I don't want to push my own agenda here, but we should probably try dolphin hand jobs. <laughs> there was one, I remember this, there was one guy that was doing a talk about it like years after the fact, like this was in the 2000s or something. He was an old scientist guy. And he straight up said at one point, like, yeah, um, I was a young man and sometimes I would go in there with the female dolphins and have sex with the female dolphin because Marvick was jerking off the male dolphin in order to, and but mine wasn't to teach you anything. I was just going to have sex with the dolphin. <laughs> what, what? Why did you say that? Don't tell people that. Oh, You, you didn't need to tell anybody that. <laughs> you, you got away with this until now. Margaret had a decent lie, at least. <laughs> so he can focus. I'm trying to teach him English and he's just like, oh, I knew that was horseshit, but where else could I have such easy access to horny dolphins? <laughs> that is, I had not heard that at all. That is absolutely insane. But I don't think we can get worse than that. So <laughs> that, that covers LSD, the origins, and where it went horribly wrong, which brings us to in their defense. We have to defend <laughs> fucking any aspect of that. I'm not going to make anyone defend that. But <laughs> Skylar, what do you have in their defense of anything that we talked about today? There are two things that I can think of in the defense of the government shutting down LSD and, and ruining it. And then also the John C. Willie thing specifically. As far as the government is concerned, I mean, we talked about it. It's not really in defense, but as justification, they want to protect their interests and corporate interests and stuff like that. And, and of course, people having more power and feeling whatever feelings the government can't control, they obviously are going to take issue with that. So that's where their defense is. Anything that disrupts the status quo is incredibly scary. And so it's like protect the status quo at all costs. That's the only defense that you can possibly think that they would have. It's evil, but we understand the thought process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's completely evil. And of course, like Nixon famously not a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> that is what that was. As far as like John C. Lilly's thing, I really did, you know, try to think about what this guy's whole deal was. And I, you really think about, okay, the alien thing, if you want to communicate with aliens, you can be the step to do that. And interspecial communication, that changes all of scientists and the way we view communication and everything about the way our world works. John even postulated in, I don't even remember if it was his first book or his second book, probably the first one, that if we would be able to communicate with dolphins, then maybe we communicate with all animals and all sea life. But then like if we communicated with dolphins and could understand them on a complex enough level, we would then need to have a seat for dolphins on the UN because we're <laughs> communicating with them. So he is envisioning this grandiose human to animal unity that unites the entire world's biosphere through communication. So I think him thinking that he was going to accomplish something so grand, one of the grandest accomplishments in science, like taking that just like a gigantic step drove him to go very far in a wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea too, that like they have to flood a certain section of the UN just to give the dolphin a seat. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I agree. This would have been beautiful research had it accomplished anything. And I understand the original thought process. It just got so corrupt along the way. When do you have something? Cause I've got some thoughts here. <laughs> 
I'll let you take first crack at this. All right, here's the thing. If you told me I could try LSD and go swim with dolphins, I would do that right now. That sounds fantastic. What a way to spend a day. And this guy made it his job where he's getting paid by NASA to do it. That sounds absolutely fantastic. I mean, I, I can't really imagine having more fun than that. And plus, then you're just hanging out alone and you're, you know, the only one that's high. That's kind of a bummer. So you obviously have to give the dolphins LSD too. I mean, this is all a very reasonable process of events. Plus, you know, they flooded the entire building. That had to take a lot of money. So building some sort of small tube to connect two places to bring the dolphin there easily over a period of like three minutes probably just would have taken too much. The only logical response there was to just, you know, give the dolphin a hand job. All of these things had no other solution. <laughs> I understand absolutely the incredible degradation and the way the mind just breaks down to the point of, look, ultimately, we have to get high with dolphins and give them hand jobs. It is the only solution here. So what else could they possibly have done? I, I get it. When? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Picture it. Yeah. <laughs> the year is 2022. People are in cities and they look up to the sky expecting to see clouds because the sun was just blacked out. Okay? <laughs> what, a, what they see? A mothership. The world is being invaded. They want something from us and we don't know what they want because we cannot communicate. <laughs> Could you imagine if we're about to be annihilated, all of our resources taken, our whole civilization destroyed, and you could tell me right now that all of that could be avoided if just one college dropout <laughs> to a single dolphin over the course of several months, and you're just like, was it worth it? Damn straight, it would have been worth it. The whole world saved. Our whole civilization, okay, because one woman was brave enough to go where one guy went for funsies, apparently, after hours. <laughs> that is my defense of dolphin LSD handjobs. Thank you very much. Perfect. I would love this if this was the reading given during Orson Welles' War of the Worlds that sent everyone into a panic. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if only a woman had jerked off a dolphin, oh, the humanity. <laughs> Fantastic defense. I mean, I don't think we can do better than that. We've got uh, the history of LSD, uh, personal experience. I'm going to go try it soon. I got it now. But for legal reasons, no, I'm not. Jerking off a dolphin? So, uh, where it went so horribly, disturbingly wrong. Skylar Higley, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was fun. Absolutely. And so where can people see you next? Next, when this comes out, I will be at the Laugh Factory for the Young Hustle Show, which is Friday, whatever the first Friday of the month is, Friday the 5th. And yeah, find me on, on Twitter at Skylar Higley, or I think it's Skylar underscore Higley, and on Instagram at Skylar Higley, and that, that's good, yeah. Thank you so much, and I mean, we're going to see you tomorrow to do a show, <laughs> but uh, really appreciate you being here. Guys, thank you uh, for listening. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe, give us five stars, it helps out so much. Also, we have a Patreon down in the show notes, it helps us keep the show going for just $5 fantastic deal. So uh, we'll be back next week. We hope you'll join us. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.